Hello and welcome to another episode of Hope, a podcast wishing to inspire listeners everywhere with weekly stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. Today, you're going to hear from an exciting guest, Amanda Wilbanks. Amanda has an inspiring story about how she built something special from the ground up. If you like pies, then you're going to like this story. Amanda, Danny Daniel here. Hey, Danny, how are you? Well, I'm great now that I'm talking to the pie lady. Well, that's right. I've just sweetened up your day already just by answering. <laughs> Boy, that is great. You know, if you meet somebody in America that doesn't like pie, they need There's to move. There's something wrong with them. That's exactly right. There is something wrong with them. All American apple pie is the best. and You can't be here and not love pie. Well, it's uh, you've got an amazing story here. And I think if you just told somebody that you were going to talk to the pie lady, they say, what are you talking about? But really, you go from scratch to uh, maybe regional. You can tell me how far out you go with your pies. But uh, I think it's a marvelous uh, story of hope, which is what we're all about here. When you built, when you made that first pie, I'm sure that you said, oh, well, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But you hoped that it would. That's right. That's exactly right. You never know, I think, when you embark on your first journey or job or, you know, when you're trying something new, if it's going to work out. But you, I think everybody just has to have hope. And, and that's what I did. And here we are now, eight years later, eight living years off of later. a lot of hope still that's, and pie. That's right. How do y'all keep your weight down? You know, that's the hardest part because <laughs> you you go by and you smell these delicious pies in the production area. And, you know, still to this day, I still will sneak a bite or a little bite-sized tassie. And I don't feel bad about it. Life's too short not to eat great and delicious food. So, you know, it's I, all in balance. Yeah, I really believe that. And I, I take it to the extreme. You know, you got folks in the nursing home and you got people says, oh, gosh, uh, the doc says I can't eat salt. Well, who cares? <sighs> If, I know. If they want to eat salt and they're 85 years old, come on, let them eat salt. That's right. Let them eat salt. Let them have pie. Let them enjoy life. It is too short. Too short. That is exactly true. I, I will tell you that uh, my favorite pie, I don't even know if you make it or not because it's probably a little more difficult, is lemon icebox pie. Have you ever heard of that? Man, I have. I had those growing up. We make. We don't make the lemon icebox, but we make a killer lemon chest pie which is like an old-fashioned chess pie, but it is delicious. It's not the icebox version, but you can chill it in the freezer, and it still tastes great straight out of the freezer, just like the icebox pie. Well, boy, I used to go to my grandmama's house like we all do, and uh, I said, can I have a piece of that lemon icebox pie? And she always had it in the freezer back there, so that was a, a good reason for going. Now, you That's said right. lemon chess pie. i got to ask you one question. What about chocolate chess pie? So we make a killer chocolate chest. That is my favorite pie of all the pies we make. It is to die for. It, it is mine as well. Uh, my brother uh, uh, here in Athens is a, a big event planner, a big caterer. And one of the best things they do is chocolate chest pie. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It, that's not something you hear of that often anymore. So the fact that they still do that is wonderful. I love it. Well, I wonder if it's hard to make. Is that it? You know, I don't think it's hard to make. I think that it was just like an older recipe. It's kind of an old-fashioned pie because, you know, it could sit in a pie safe or in a pie chest and not go bad for a couple of days. And I think, you know, a lot of the new recipes are really funky and different and have all these funny ingredients. But And I think people just don't make the old-fashioned pies anymore, which are the best. So the fact that they still do it is wonderful. Well, that is, that is yours an old-fashioned pie? It is. It's an old-fashioned chess pie. It's just got um, bittersweet Ghirardelli chocolate, and butter, and sugar, and eggs, and vanilla, and all the things that make up a wonderful chess pie. 
I just gained three pounds. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm starting to be hungry, and it's only it's not even eleven yet. Oh. This five talk makes me hungry. Uh, let me ask you how you got started. I mean, you know, somebody would just be in the kitchen one day and, and baking some pies, and it builds into a huge business. How did you get started? What was your incentive, and and uh, how do you feel about it? You know, I started like, you know, baking out of my house for, for fun and for neighbors and friends. And then I, my husband came in one day and said, either you need to stop baking or start selling. And he said, I've signed you up for a festival and you're going to sell pies. This was on a Tuesday and I had to have all the pies ready and create a business name and all these kind of things so that I would look like I was professional. And I had been doing this for years by Thursday. So I had two days and I had business cards printed at a local printer and made a business logo on Word and just popped up and started selling pies at a festival called Mule Camp. And it all just grew from there. That first weekend at Mule Camp, I think we sold close to $2,500 in pie and we were selling them for $4 a slice mm. and the line was lined out the tent. So that was that was how it all began. And I think just getting a taste of that pardon the, you know, the pun, but that sweet experience um, made me crave more festivals and more events and seeing everybody's happy reaction when they would taste the pies. And it made me, it made me want to keep going. So I think that was a lot of my, my drive was the pie brought people joy and it brought me joy and gave me a sense of purpose. And that's how it all began. Well, uh, I've often heard that uh, we all have a purpose. Uh, you know, most of the time, it doesn't seem like we figure it out before we go to the pearly gates but uh we all do have a purpose and obviously yours is baking pies because so. you're not doing that just for yourself you're doing it a whole lot for other people and and i think that's a, a reason why we've had success in this and why i've kept doing it year after year is because it is it's not about me it's about the joys that others get from eating the pie or you watch them and they take the first bite and they look at you and say this reminds me of eating pie at my grandmother's house or my grandmother's strawberry cobbler and i've never had one that tastes as good as hers and this one runs a close you know a close race with it and those kind of things make you keep wanting to do what i do every day time and time again well, every day, time and time again, of course, uh, some would say, well, the more you do it, the more you get it right. <laughs> That's true. That's uh, true. But but to go out on your first uh, outing and sell $2,500 worth of pies, that's pretty strong. I don't even know how you knew how many pies to bake to go to that event. You know, we didn't, or, or I didn't. I would go, I would sell at the event all day, and then I would go home at 7 or 8 o'clock at night and start making pies again because I felt like they had to be fresh every single day for every event. And it was a challenge. I would sleep for two or three hours, you know, from like 3 a.m. to 6 or 7 a.m., pop back up and start selling again. So the first couple of months, I baked everything out of my house. This was in um, August of 2012 to December of 2012. And by December, I had made close to 500 pies out of my kitchen the week before Christmas. And I piled them all in the back of my mom's Suburban and took them to a local civic center and all these people had pre-ordered. And I just remember I was literally just selling pies out of the back of a, a Suburban in, in the middle of town. And so, you know, it it takes a lot of work to, to make a, a dream like this, you know, happen, but it's been fun. Tell us a little bit more about your organization. A, where do you live? Where do you sell the pies from? 
So I live in Gainesville, Georgia, and we have stores, um, retail pie shops, just like little bakeries that you pop into in Buckhead, Vinings, Alpharetta, and Gainesville. So three stores in the Atlanta area, one store in Gainesville. It's called Southern Baked Pie Company. So you come in and you can get a delicious slice of pie, um, a sweet pie, or you can get a savory pie like a chicken pot pie, pot roast pie, taco pie, tomato pie. We have quiches, then we have key lime pie, and just a huge variety of both sweet pies and dinner pies that you could serve for your family. And then we ship our pies all over the United States. So as we grew, we um, started an e-commerce site where you can go online, order our pies, send a chicken pot pie and a pecan pie to friends and family out of state. And that has been our fastest fastest growing segment of our company is the e-commerce side. Well, now what about how do you preserve the pies in those uh, ships uh, shipping situations? When we ship them. So we've been shipping for the last past five years. And I would say in the last past three years, we've perfected it. We ship with dry ice. We never have any breakage, knock on wood. Um, The pies arrive arrive cold and you can either take them and put them in the freezer and enjoy them at a later date, or you can immediately cook them and serve them. But they will arrive cold, almost frozen. So you're not just uh, Georgia uh, baked. You you send them all over the, the country, wherever they order them, I guess. That's right. That's right. So we we ship to Alaska. We ship to Hawaii. We ship to every single state. And um, I think people just love having a taste of the South. If you can't if you can't be here to eat the delicious food, I just have found that people have this craving to still have a bite of it and still be a part of it, even if it's if it's from afar. Well, going back to when you first got started, uh, I know that you never anticipated how much work it was going to be. I mean, getting two or three hours mm-hmm. sleep at night. Uh, and not knowing whether it's going to work or not, uh, that's a, that's amazing to me. But it's a lot of commitment uh, and a lot of focus. Did you have any help from your family members or do you have a lot of employees? I did have help. When I first started, my mother helped me a ton. She would help me bake out of my house. My husband would actually work night shift and then come home and roll the pie dough in our carport. We put put our dining room table in our carport because we had so much product in my den. My house was so tiny. If you open the oven, you would literally bump your bottom on the fridge behind you. That's how tight our space was. So my husband would roll pie dough for me when he would get home off a night shift until early in the morning. And then I would start Start baking it all throughout the day. So I definitely had the help and support of my family and my husband and my mom and my dad gave me a small loan to open my first pie shop in Gainesville in 2013. And um, I paid it back to him with interest at, within a year. And we had planned that it would take three years. So I definitely would say we had the support of family um, in the very beginning. And as the company's grown, now we have 45 employees and like I said, we ship all over the United States and have a production facility, but that that was a challenge to make it to this point. Um, it is it has not been easy for sure. Now, your production facility, I would assume, is in Gainesville. It is. It's in Gainesville, and um, we did the production facility because that gives us quality control, and I work at the production facility and have my office here, so it gives me that ability to be hands-on and to always know what's going on with our product because our goal is to always have a consistent product. So if you get an apple pie in June and you get one at Christmas, I can guarantee you it's going to taste almost identical. I imagine your family celebrated when you moved to the production facility. For sure. They definitely (laughs) did at that point. My dad said, the worst mistake I ever made was not going in 50-50 partners with you. He said, I still regret it to this day. Oh, my. Well, I'll tell you what, you 
it sounds to me like you've earned everything you've earned with hard work and uh, diligence and, and it's going to be something that people will always use. I, if you produce something that just a small percentage of the uh, people out there use, uh, it's not going to go so well, but everybody likes pie. That's and, right. Uh, they all want it. And I didn't know you did uh, chicken pot pies. Oh my goodness. The chicken pot pie is probably my most favorite dinner pie. And it's so easy. I know with, with everything that's been happening, people just aren't able to eat out as much and get out as much. So I have shipped the pies myself personally to friends and family out of state that are quarantined. And people are so appreciative because it feels just like a homemade meal. And it tastes so much like it was my grandmother's chicken pot pie recipe. And I think people eat it and they're just immediately reminded of family and comfort and home and, and joy when at a time like now when it's hard to to be with family and be with friends i like the way that you equate your product to family and you put it in a such a nice way that uh, people are have memories when they eat your product and that's okay. important Oh. It is so important. I grew up baking with my my grandmother. We were the Southern Baptist family that went to church together every Sunday. And you, you were shunned if you didn't show up to my grandmother Betty's house after church. Um, so the all, the whole family always gathered together. So food to me, it works, you know, is synonymous with family and fellowship and celebrations. And she taught me how to make homemade biscuits and gravy. And I, I have those sweet memories and how to make homemade cobbler. So every time I eat my cherry pie or my pizza, pie. It's her cobbler recipe that I turned into a pie. And it just, I'm just flooded with sweet, happy memories. Now, what about advertising? You have a site and then it has all your product on that one site. And is that what you do? Yes. Yes. So you can go to Southern Baked Pie Company, or, or I'm sorry, southernbakedpie.com. And all of the information is there, our store locations. And that's where you can actually order a pie and have it shipped to your home. Or you can visit any of our four stores in the Atlanta area. All right. What about COVID? I, I hate that word. It's just gotten to me like it's gotten to everybody else. We're all tired, tired of COVID and the uh, what goes along with that. Uh, did that affect your business at all since you were shipping in most of it out? It, it did affect us. Um, it affected our retail store. I'll be so glad when it's over and we don't have to talk about that word anymore for sure. But, um, you know, we're, we're walk-in traffic and we don't have seating. So we, we tried to socially distance and we kept, um, you know, our, our stores open because we were a food product. So I was thankful to be able to stay in business and be deemed necessary. But it definitely, the store sales um, struggled, but the online sales picked up. So I felt like it, it balanced itself out and we were able to weather the storm. And I think we're coming out on the other side at this point. And I think hopefully it will be a good, continue to be a good fourth quarter and people will hopefully continue to ship and visit our stores. Well, boy, that is a effort in diversity, isn't it? Uh, it is. If, if you just said, okay, all we're going to do is have retail stores. Well, you could have really been hurt, but you I, had the shipping part of it as well. It, it went well for you and it continued to. It sounds like that your business kind of has a little bit of divine guidance in it. Well, I think it has a lot of help from the Lord, and um, I think it definitely does. I really do. I believe a lot in prayer, and you know, it, a lot of hard work will help you take your business to where it needs to go so that you can be successful. Well, I guess hope comes in many flavors uh, and di different types of hope and that sort of thing. But if it's really supposed to benefit you or benefit those around you, it has to be pretty deep in, in, uh, in, in how you feel about it. Uh, 
If you just said, well, maybe this will work, maybe it won't work. But no, you put your heart and soul in it, and that's why it did work. I, I truly believe that. I, I think that's exactly how it works. And I think when you do have such a strong, you know, pull to something and it bring you, brings you such joy, you you hope and you know that you've got to make it work and this has got to happen. This is the income for my family and, and my life, but yet it still fuels me at the same time and gives me joy and hope every single day. Well, you know, everybody wants to throw water on what you do if, if you're successful because they're just a little bit jealous sometimes. <laughs> uh, and they, oh, she can't do that. She she can't do this. But you had a little water thrown on you, I guess, along the way, and it was uh, something that had to be overcome. Is that very true? true. I, for reading. sure, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, a couple of them that come to mind is when we were building out. We had decided that we were going to open a Buckhead and and Atlanta uh, Alpharetta store, and they were supposed to be spread out six months apart, and so that would give us time to get one off the ground and get it paid for, and then start the next venture. And when you spread them out like that, it helps with hiring and staffing and training and so forth. And it ended up that we were delayed due to a lot of contractor issues. We learned a lot from that experience, and they ended up opening within 30 days of each other. So it was an extreme challenge. We had never planned to staff two stores at once that closely together. And I remember I had just had a baby and was down there working the stores and my all of my team that had been with me for a while were worn out and we were tired. And it really took a good two to three years to get those stores off the ground. We opened in areas where we did not have brand recognition. We had never opened in the Atlanta market before. It's a completely different market than our Gainesville hometown local market where everybody supports you. And Gainesville was a wonderful place to open a business. But when you move to Atlanta, you were a tiny fish in a big pond. Um, so we were literally swimming upstream as hard as we could um, for for about two years. And that was, that was one of the times where I felt like I was drowning. Um, I had a family and two children and a new baby and a new business. And that was, that was difficult and a big challenge for sure. Well, you know, you can only press yourself so far, I think sometimes, and you feel like you're almost going off the cliff, but, uh, you know, to keep going. And I, I guess, you know, trying to market in Atlanta, Georgia is like, uh, I don't know, trying to market in the ocean. It uh, is. It is for sure. Well, and what we really had to focus on was we, since we were opening two stores at that at once like that, we didn't have a huge marketing budget. We certainly didn't have an advertising budget. Honestly, we had no budget. So it was boots on the ground, going to chamber meetings, going to events, planning events within the store, all free, just begging people to come in and just get a good a, a taste of our pies. And we had to really focus on hiring employees that were personable and warm and welcoming and and, and made our customers want to shop with us time and time again. So it was a boots on the ground effort rather than, you know, having a lot of marketing budget to spend far and wide. We just didn't. We, we had to bootstrap it and do it very much ourselves. Well, you talk about a budget. Of course, a budget is only as good as you make it, I guess. That's for sure. <laughs> you, you can write it up all day long and uh, find out that you had all the wrong variables. But in your case, uh, you had to have staying power for two years. 
We did. We did. Um, and thank goodness we had the online division of the company, the e-com, where we shipped pies all over and we had wholesale accounts. So that helped float the business and and helped us with cash flow during that time. Um, and we went when we were opening these stores to multiple banks and uh, we were very new in business. We had only been in business a couple of years and most of the time they laughed us out of the bank. And now it's funny because they'll come and knock on our door and ask for meetings with us to see how they can help us, how they can loan us money. But at the time, it was really hard to come upon those funds. So we just had to be extremely tight with cash and make sure that that our cash flow was going to help that we could get through. Um, it, it was a challenge for sure. Yeah, I know a little bit about banking. That was I got a degree from University of Georgia in finance and went straight to Augusta to work for a bank down there. And I spent four years there and learned a lot about banking. But I learned a lot that... Uh, a lot of times the people that don't need the money get the money and vice this versa. This is true. Yes, very, very true. So it is a challenge if you're a new business starting out, if you don't have that proven track record of sales or the revenue, um, it, it is difficult. It, it certainly is. Yeah, and they they always say that, what, a new business, uh, if it'll make it, what, one, two, three years, then it'll make it. But if it doesn't make it, then it won't happen. Uh, exactly. So you, exactly. You've, you've passed the goal. I think we've made it to eight years, so I'm just hoping for another 18 years. That would be great. <laughs> tell, us a, tell us a little bit about your family. Your family has had to kind of be along your side as you develop this, and you said you have a couple of children. And I do. I do. I have three kids. Um, I'm married to my husband, Alex Wilbanks, who is the CEO of the company and works and runs the company every day. And I work on the marketing and retail and sales side of the company and the creative and strategic vision of the company. And then we have three children. I have a one-year-old, Caroline Grace, a five-year-old, Dalton, and a 10-year-old named Austin. Um, and, you know, when I opened my vining store, I was pregnant with Caroline Grace. She was born two weeks before the store opened and talk about a challenge having a one week old. I, I went and went to the grand opening of the store and spent the first week there holding a one week old, trying to talk to customers. I remember at one point I was feeding her and a customer walked by the week before we were opening and I ran out the door. I just like sat her in her seat really fast, took off running out the door and I was like, please come back and visit us. We're opening this shop. I would really appreciate your business. And then I literally ran back inside and started feeding her again. So it's it's been a juggling act. And that was another one of those times where I felt like, okay, I'm drowning. How can I do this? But there wasn't an option to get out of it. And uh, failure is never an option for me. If I do fail, I learn from it and I just keep going. And I've probably failed time and time again. But every time I just pick my boot or pull my boots up and just keep, keep running. And that's all I've, I've ever known. And I think that's why the company has grown the way it has. Yeah. Well, maybe you've tried your best to have a little bit of family life along with your work. Uh, that's right. And yes. uh, somebody got to take those kids to school. That's right. That's right. Right before I got on this call with you, I got a school, a call from the school that said my, my 10 year old was sick and I had to come oh. get him immediately. And I said, I just have to be on this, this one call. And then I promise I will be there. So it's something new every day. It's always a challenge. Yeah, you know, I, I can understand that. I've had three boys and they're all grown now, oh so goodness. I don't have to deal with that quite as much. Well, I'm sure. glad that you've been able to, uh, exceed, uh, by all expectations, particularly having a little newborn and, and getting a business started. Is there any advice that you might give somebody else that wants to get in uh, business and start a brand of their own? 
You know, one big piece of advice I have is for you to save really big in, in the beginning. I know you can't save your way to the bank, but I think when you start out, it is hard to find funding and it is hard to get the business off the ground and it's expensive to start a business. So I always tell people, you know, put back and save for a rainy day because that rainy day will come. And when it comes, it's more like a monsoon. Um, and another piece of advice I would give is don't be afraid to fail. When I first popped up and started selling pies at the festival called Mule Camp, I wore heels and pearls and this leopard print jacket and a red pencil skirt and, you know, huge pumps. And I looked like a fool at like a honky tonk type festival, but it worked because I differentiated myself and I wasn't afraid to be embarrassed. And I think that, you know, I called my parents and said, hey, will y'all please come down here and help me? I'm selling pies at this festival. And they both said no and kind of laughed at me because they thought I had completely lost my way and was completely confused in life. But it was because I didn't fear what they would think or what anybody there would think or my friends or my family that I popped up and I did what I love. And I still do that to this day. So I think getting over the fear of embarrassment or the fear that your product might not work and having hope and believing it will makes all the difference in the world. Well, that was very, very well said. I, I agree and concur 100 percent. I still say the same thing that we all are supposed to have a purpose in life. Uh, right. Most of us don't find it, quite frankly. I don't, don't believe we do because we're not searching for it. Uh, That's we, don't, true. we don't try things. We don't try to bake pies. We don't try to uh, get out there in the business world and brand what we've got to, to have. So That's true. You, uh, you're way ahead of the game in that regard. <clears throat> Thank you. And again, you have uh, given us hope that uh, it can be done. And uh, all we've got to do is, is try it. Isn't it true? Most people won't try something, will they? They won't. They really won't. They'll have this great idea or this great product, or maybe they're great at selling and they have a great personality, but they're just afraid to pick up that phone call, that phone and make that first sales call. And I think that is, that's the hardest part for people is the fear of embarrassment, the fear of rejection, the fear of, oh, what happens if it doesn't work? And I've always looked at things like, well, what happens if it does work? I mean, here's all the great things that could come from this if it does work out. And I think if everybody looked at things from a more positive light and had faith and belief in themselves and, and belief in God that things will work out and that you are given this purpose and you've just got to, you've got to go for it, then we would all be a whole lot more successful and a lot happier. Well, that's true. And I, I guess until you achieve that purpose in life, you're not going to have full happiness. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I don't think you will. I really don't think you will. I, I agree with that. Uh, well, I uh, want to know one thing you quickly just, determined or discerned that getting on the internet as a marketing device for y'all was very, very important. Is that your primary marketing device besides the retail stores? Yes, that is our primary marketing device. We do all of our marketing through actually email marketing, which has been the most successful for us. So when I first started the company, every event I went to, I would lay out a yellow legal notepad, which I still do to this day. I just came back from Palmetto Bluff and I had my yellow legal notepad with me and I'm like, sign up with your name and email. We ship pies all over the United States. We do corporate gifting. I would love to have your business. And I started that from day one when I had no clue how to ship a pie and no idea. I didn't even know how to make an email list or market through Constant Contact or MailChimp or anything like that. But I started that in the beginning and I made it look like I knew way more than I did. And I built this email list and now we have over 
80,000 people on our email list. And that's how I stay in touch with them and market new products to them to this day. It's my most successful form of advertising and marketing. And it's very affordable. It's practically free when you look at it at the cost per person. It's a couple of cents per person to send out an email to them. Well, now, do you primarily use a constant contact, if I can ask? Yes, I, we, I started with Constant Contact. Um, MailChimp is also a good store, source. I've never used them, but now I've switched to something called Springbot, which has been game-changing. It helps you segment your email list so that you can better target your customers and not mass send emails to everybody. You can contact them by demographics and income level and, and gender and everything um, so that you can better market more um, you know, successfully to each one of your customers and send them what they need not just like a mass generated email. And that's called Springbot. Spring what now? Springbot, S-P-R-I-N-G-B-O-T. And that's, that's a biggie. That's a good that's one. That's a big one. I think that's a key. Once you've, you've built that email list, transitioning to something like that can be very helpful um, to further drive sales. Well, I'm not going to pin you down, but I guess you all did a lot of your own design of the website. We did. We definitely did. And we still do our own design of the emails. I I didn't turn that over until probably two years ago to somebody else now that we have on staff. But that is something that anybody can do, no matter how small you are. The the Springbot and um, there's a program called Canva, C-A-N-V-A, that you can design emails in and marketing and Facebook marketing. It makes it super easy for you. You don't have to have a graphic design degree or, you know, be a graduate in design. You just have to be able to kind of plug and play. And a lot of it you can do from your cell phone. Well, that makes it so easy. I guess I'll just get my pie business started tomorrow morning. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, if it was this easy, everybody would be doing it. Well, There's a reason why not everybody is. It is hard. And it's hard in any business. But if, if you're willing to put the work in, as you know, it, it can be very rewarding. Well, I totally commend you and Alex and what you're doing and how successful you've been and uh, encourage you. You don't need any encouragement to keep it, keep it going and Keep expanding because uh, I guess uh, until you run out of pies, you you can still sell more. Uh, That's right. And we uh, can always make more. That's the good thing. Uh, and next time I come to Gainesville, which I'm in Athens, uh, right down the street, I'll look for your store. Where is it? It is in Gainesville, right as you're coming in from Athens on 129, I believe. It is like right near downtown. So once you see downtown, you take a right. It's on Broad Street. It's called Southern Baked Pie Company. And pull right in and we'll have a slice of pie waiting on you. Although I wouldn't mind driving to Athens since I'm a bulldog and graduated from Athens. And just uh, the next store, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, will be in your town um, very soon. So there's there's good things on the horizon for Athens. <laughs> well, bulldogs like pies too. I'm quite sure of that because I'm a bulldog and uh, I think that you'll be doing yourself a favor by opening a store sometime in Athens. But, well, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed uh, interviewing you and talking with you. You are certainly somebody that had to have a lot of hope or you wouldn't have made it. That's all. That's right. Uh, I'm going to encourage anybody that goes to Gainesville and wants to eat pie to come to your place. That's right. And if they're in Atlanta, stop into our pie shops in Buckhead, Vinings, and Alpharetta, or we will ship a pie directly to your door if you go to our website at southernbakedpie.com. Thank you so much, Amanda, and you have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Amanda Wilbanks, and that's who we've heard from today. So if you're hungry, go to her stores and get you a pie. Come back next week for more episodes. Thank you for listening. 
This episode, recorded at Vega Studios, was produced by Mariah Rose. Also remember to follow us on social media. We will be posting our episodes on our Facebook page along with the website. Stay in touch with us and spread the word. It's all about hope. But before we go, I wanted to remind the listeners that I'm a huge supporter of the UGA Miracle, which is the largest student-run organization at the University of Georgia that raises money for children's health care of Atlanta. They raise over a million dollars a year, and you can be a part of that. Just go to ugamiracle.org, and you can donate. Remember, any amount given is a step closer to saving a child's life.